You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast. Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. Welcome to... Do you know what episode this is? Uh, I think 42. 42? Yeah. So um, a, a little call out to um, a podcast that we're big fans of, the Bad Beta Podcast. Um, they've been around longer than us and like only have 19 episodes because they're lazy. <laughs> so Steve, <laughs> Steve, Matt, and Anna, um, get in gear. I hate having to wait like six months between episodes. Because um, you're amazing. Yeah. It's a great, great show. Yeah. But I just... I'm, we just I'm, want more. I'm just proud that, you know, we started after them uh-huh. and we have more episodes. <laughs> so if you can't be as good, at least kill them with content. Um, so yeah, go. um, but this episode isn't a COVID episode, but, uh, COVID inspired it. Um, because as people have probably picked up, I work in an outdoor store and because you can't travel, you can't go to concerts, you can't go to festivals. A lot of things people would normally do in the summertime. The most common thing I'm getting from people is, hi, I don't camp, but I'm going to start camping now. What do I need? Right? Like, this is the summer of the newbie. So, we're calling this episode Outdoor for Newbies. And the idea is to convey good practices, right? So, you know, so that you, you lessen your environmental impact and you, you get invited back, so to speak. Absolutely. I mean, you know what? There's a few things that I learned this year. And I'll, we'll talk about that as we go through some of these line items. But anywhere from leave no trace principles, uh, aka don't litter, mm-hmm. <laughs> to cutting down trees when you're in the out uh, in in the outback. I always say that, but backcountry, um, don't shit in your own backyard. You know, you wouldn't do that at home. Um, you know, ultimately, you're, all these actions can have a negative impact on the environment, the animals, uh, access. Overall, they're just not good practices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, really important. We're lucky to have access to what we have. We need to take good care of it. Yeah. You know, and it's a shame. It just wrecks it for all when a lot of people take really heavy gear uh, on a canoe portage trip, which I heard is happening in Algonquin, and they leave all the stuff behind. Yeah. You know. You know, so don't do that. Don't do that at all. And in fact, um, definitely if you're new, um, check out our, our other episodes on intro to backpacking for backcountry essentially, because we teach you about not packing your fears and what you really do need and how to pack light. But ultimately, don't leave shit in the backcountry. Yeah. So the, the first thing we're going to cover is the whole leave no trace concept. Um, and, and it c- encompasses a number of different things. Um, the idea is that you should leave... The campsite, the trail, the rock climbing crag, you know, whatever it is, better than you found it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our case, like we often cart garbage out. Yeah, you know, whether yeah. It's, whether it's a spare beer can you find or sometimes when we actually go on a mission to clean things up, so we're taking garbage bags on top of garbage bags. So out. it's incredible to me when I'm on the hiking trails, the top items that I see are cigarette butts. Cigarette butts, I think, take years to degrade yeah right so really bad for the environment definitely you see lots of plastic bottles tim horton cups you know i don't care it's like wax paper they don't degrade Mm -hmm. very well 
Um, of course, unfortunately, women peeing in the woods, leaving your tissue paper, don't do that. Pack it out. Drip dry. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what would be really great? And, and, and I think, you know, honestly, um, I've been doing a lot of it. I bought a, a trash picker. Is I, I actually go on little walks or hikes and I pick up garbage and mm. call me the garbage lady, whatever. But I don't know. It, it feels good. It feels like I'm doing something worthwhile, especially now during COVID when I'm not a frontline worker. I can't be there to solve those problems and help, but at least it's something that's good for the environment. And ultimately, it really protects the animals. Mm-hmm. Because I just think about how if plastic gets into the water, um, you know, fish, ducks, you know, they'll go after that. And then you'll just have less of that ecosystem. Of, and, and the ton of garbage that you see is tremendous. Yeah. And then dog owners, um, you know, picking up the poop of their dog in those plastic baggies, but then just throwing them into the woods. That does not degrade. Yeah. I don't care what the packaging of that company says and why. I don't understand why people do it. The only thing I can think is that they think it's going to degrade, right? Um, it does not. Even if something degrades, like we had this discussion before, like a banana peel. Mm. It's not native to this environment, right? And so, I was guilty of that. Yeah. Apple cores, any fruit, yeah. right? Talk about, a bit about that more. So it's yeah. not native to the area. Yeah, so, so you run into the thing where, um, A, it can attract animals, right? So... Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously kind of pest animals in areas that people are using, congregating, camping is not a good idea. Um, whether it's raccoons or bears or whatever it happens to be, um, we want to minimize the interactions with animals, mm-hmm. um, both for our safety and the safety of the animals. Oh yeah. Right. So, so there's that. Um, and then it, there's that cumulative effect because if everybody is just, yes, it will eventually break down. Yeah. But like a banana peel takes forever to break down. Yeah. Right. They don't just like a week and it's turned into soil. Um, and then you can run into the thing where banana is not likely to, uh, you know, sprout up a bunch of invasive species. <laughs> um, you know, but the the concept behind it is is the same, which is it's not from here, yeah. so you don't want to yeah put it here. Well, the thing is that people are watching. You don't want to you know be that kind of role model that says it's okay because mm-hmm. it's not. I think it's pretty interesting that when we go front com- country camping, so you car camp, I've not seen any signage or instructions visible, like what to do with the scraps of food that you don't eat. There's actually no instructions about that. And mm-hmm. I know in talking to you, you're saying, uh, do not dispose that, you know, sometimes people will throw like coffee grinds and tea or, or like at, when they wash the dishes, mm-hmm. they'll do it at their camp, say they'll bring a bucket of water and soap, and then they'll just throw that in the bush yeah. by their campsite. Last thing you want to do. Right, because if it's still food, mm-hmm. and it will attract animals, and the last thing you want to do, you don't want to eat at your campsite. Yeah, and I think, and it's a tough thing because the if it's a car camping site, right, where you know you pull in and your fire pit, your picnic table, where you'd set up your tent, mm-hmm. they're all right near each other. Um, so you run into the thing of it seems obvious, uh, and you know probably for the most part. Um, you know, they're because this has been going on for a long time. 
um, it's not a huge issue, right? But those same practices done in the backcountry, you know, because it just depends on where the front country or the the car camping sites are. Mm -hmm. You know, like if it's right on the uh, uh, edge of bear country, you know, or in bear country. Yeah. Then you've got to treat it like you're in the backcountry. Mm-hmm. Right. Your food needs to be taken care of, um, you know, and that means, uh, you know, either locking it in your trunk, um, getting a cooler like a like a Yeti or a Pelican that if you put a padlock in it, a bear can't break into it, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you hear stories of like even at regular campgrounds. Bears will get into cars. Yeah, they'll get into cars. They'll get into coolers. Yeah. Um, and the the reality comes in, you know, obviously in the moment people are worried about being attacked by the bear. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there's the saying, a fed bear is a dead bear. Um, a oh, bear totally. that's gotten used to human food becomes a problem bear. Yeah. And then they have to be put down. We experienced that. So we used to camp up at Sand Lake near Resto Provincial Park. So Sand Lake's was about 20 minute drive into the backcountry on logging roads. And really sad, really sad story. Because we actually had to kill this bear, right? Now, the local um, camp owners, because we, although we were backcountry on, on Crown Land, they were baiting bear right by our campsite which was totally on them. So we killed the bear that they were baiting because mm-hmm. he knew we'd go, we, we'd go there every year. He'd see us there every year. Yeah. And we went there, we're, we're smelling something like that. And we were smelling like, what is that awful smell? Couldn't figure it out. And then eventually we saw the big camp. So we're like, cause that's, we were like, why is there this bear coming around us? You know, and then we, and it was a cute little bear. It wasn't a baby, but it wasn't a full adult either. And it just kept coming and coming and we were leaving um, but my ex's parents and family were still there and eventually what happened, they had to kill it cause it came at night and they left all their coolers outside. Right. So totally on them. It was really sad. At the same time, the camp guy shouldn't have been baiting a bear by tents mm-hmm. and, uh, it just ended up costing him money, but that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. And you can't just pick up a bear and send it away. It'll just come back. Yeah. Once they discover that humans aren't so bad they get curious um and in the adirondacks they're really smart Mm -hmm. there's only a certain kind of bear canister you can take there it's the ones where you actually use like a coin to turn um the dial on the inside of the can to close it so it's completely knob free yeah right and um and they work great i use them here too but ultimately uh the bears the good practice Okay, especially if you're backcountry, you either do a bear hang, we can talk about that in a minute, but with the bear canisters, you want it 150 feet away from your campsite, mm-hmm. right? What you do is you go get your food from the bear camp, just what you need. You lock it up. You don't even bring the whole thing back because sometimes people would bring it back to their campsite and then the bear comes. And scares them away. And then they eat everything. <laughs> and that's happened. I've heard that story. Um, but uh, you get your food and then you eat away from your campsite. Mm-hmm like maybe down the river or because it's open and you can see at a distance what's coming. So that's a great practice. But um, yeah, and, and you know, generally the bigger problem when you're back country, it, it's the, ch- well, the chipmunks are a problem. Uh, it is the mice. Yeah. Um, of course, in probably front country, it's the raccoons. I've uh, had another bear at our site 
So I've only had two encounters with bears, but that's more than enough. Mm -hmm. And um, that was completely on us too. We were at a front, we were in Tobamori and we left, I think our greasy dishes in the truck and it was nighttime and we saw all these eyes and it was raccoons and then they were going at it and all of a sudden something big came in and started growling at them and scared them away. I swear it was bear. Nothing happened, but yeah, I think we were incredibly your, your lucky. dishes were all clean in the morning, all licked clean. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you don't want to encounter a bear for both the bear's sake and yours. Yeah. Um, don't do that. Yeah, so, so that's one of the big keys, and that's whether front country, back country. Because um, a lot of times what happens is if you're at a backcountry campsite and you have lax practices as far as food management, all that kind of thing, it could be you that runs into the problem, but it also could then be the person coming after you because you started to train the animals yeah. that this is a place where there's food, Yeah. right? So it's like, oh, there's people here now. And all of a sudden the animals start coming out. Um, and you didn't run into an issue because, you know, you let next day left. Right. Uh, but all your scraps and everything were left. Oh, behind. totally. Yeah. And so what would be good practice, uh, front country then? What would you do? I mean, eat as much as your food. Don't have, don't pack, you know, eat, don't cook too much. But if you do, would I, I would burn well, it. Um, potentially the other thing comes in is that if it's like a, a campsite, they should have garbage. Yeah, which that isn't a problem. I'm thinking about when you wash your dishes. What so, do you do? Um, basically, uh, you want to do it, you know, like if you can, like at least 50 meters away from your camp, which being that the campsites a lot of times are so close together. Yeah. Like a, a lot of campsites I've been to have a, what they call a gray water area. Yeah. Um, so there's some taps. Yeah. Like specifically, and then a, a drainage they actually, yeah. You know, for cleaning your dishes. Yeah, they don't here. Not the provincial parks that I've ever seen. Um, Usually at private camps, I, I have seen that. You know. Yeah, um, yeah that'd be uh, just, I, I haven't. I'm going to have to ask them that question next yeah. time I go. Um, what I did this time, actually, is I actually didn't wash my dishes. I took wet wipes. Yeah. And I just wiped everything up. And then into the garbage. And into the garbage. I was just too lazy. I didn't want to bring, yeah. <laughs> get the water. I didn't want to bring the dish soap and all that. And, and I kind of knew what we were going to have. Like we had very easy meals, you know, eggs and bacon and whatever. And, you know, it was only for a couple of days. Yeah. So I didn't worry about it too much. Yeah. That works too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, if, we, if we break this into sort of, you know, kind of back country and front country, in the front country, like at a campground, either lock your food in your vehicle Mm-hmm. Right in a in a good sealed cooler, or get spend the money on you know your high end cooler that's bear proof. Yeah, um, you're gonna want to keep that in your car anyway because so somebody's gonna steal your cooler. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're expensive. Yeah, um, but like the the Yeti and the Pelican coolers have a spot you can drop a padlock through, mm-hmm. um, and you know short of bolt cutters yeah nobody's getting into it i think most people are going to keep that in their car yeah because nobody wants to have a attract a bear to their campsite oh no no but i mean but whether you keep it next to your car or in your car oh i see what you're saying but uh that cooler if the bear ever gets access to it right is not getting in it right so that's stopping them from uh you know again getting habituated to human food yeah you want them to go 
you know, run into the thing when they see anything human, go, uh, it's not worth the trouble. And and just to close the loop on all this, when you do a bear hang, because that's the other way to store your food when you're in the back country, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter in what kind of bag you put it in, essentially. Well, you, well, you want something... Um, waterproof? Waterproof that's going to... Because if it's waterproof, it's going to block a lot of the scents too. Uh-huh. Right? Because um, it's the smells that attract them. So if you can keep it, uh, you know, don't get peanut butter on the outside of your bear hang bag, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, your food bag, mm-hmm. um, and close it up. Obviously, it keeps your food dry. Right. You know, if it rains or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also will help limit the spread of smells. Yeah. And so you want it at a minimum of what height off the ground? 15 feet off the ground? 12 feet off the ground. 12 feet off the ground. You ideally want to hang it on a branch. On the branch, that's about how many feet away from the trunk? Six feet out and six feet down from the branch. Right. So if you do the math, you got to find a branch that's 18 feet high. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and we could do a whole episode on a whole bunch of rope work things because there's a bunch of different tricks. Yeah. Um, So we'll leave it to that and you can YouTube it as well. Yeah. But 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 it's not just hanging it. You know, near the trunk of a tree because a bear bears can climb can the climb. tree. Yeah, and so can other animals. Yeah. Um, yeah. and that's where having it out from the tree, so it's just hanging in space. Yeah, and sometimes what you can do is, although you have it hanging, you get you attach another rope to it, and then you hang it, attach it to another tree, so it's actually hanging between the two trees. Yeah. Not even, you know, and it's clearly in space, and that works really well. Yeah. And that that you end up sometimes having to get creative when you can't find that perfect branch. But, you know, if you are going to leave things in the fire pit, like I'm not adverse to burning stuff, but make sure it's burnt. Like don't don't leave the campsite with food in your fire pit. When it comes down to burning, again, it's that idea that nobody should be able to, other than like some, say with a camp, uh, like fire pit, other than obviously some, some charred remains of, right. of wood um, and some ash, mm-hmm. um, nobody should know you were even there. Mm-hmm. You know, because if it's a, a prepared campsite, you're not going to then scoop up all the ash and spread it in the woods. Right. And then fill your fire pit back in. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, you you want to leave things so the next person coming along um, had no idea that somebody was just there. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when you, when you have people leaving, like, food wrappers or packaging or... Tissue paper. Yeah, and it's just not burned. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, it, you're you're increasing the animal risk. Mm-hmm. And then you're leaving just garbage for other people to have to camp in. That could blow away. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So by, by going with that idea, like when you're going to leave your campsite mm-hmm. before you p- load up your canoe or put your backpack on, mm-hmm. like give a walk around. And if there is anything, pack it up and take it with you. Yeah. Right? I'll tell you something that I was surprised at when I was back country. And I, like I said, I heard people were leaving like full-size tents behind, um, carts behind, like a bunch of things people just didn't want to carry. Mm-hmm. So that's the clear, easy, you know, response to that. Don't do that. Yeah. You know, I would say, anyways, going on, what was surprising to me is I, I walked to this, I came to this campsite and all these trees were cut down. Um, there were probably, I don't know, five inches wide but and uh, you know all the um, branches were left because they clearly couldn't burn them but mm-hmm. there were nowhere to be found they burned them is what they did yeah and so let's talk about that i mean obviously they were looking for firewood mm-hmm. so there's a couple options 
I mean, if you're going backcountry and then you run into issue with rain, right? And that might have been the issues, what happened and who knows. Um, consider taking buying firewood before you go. This is if you're canoeing. Yeah. You can easily do that, right? Um, it doesn't take much to add a bit of that. And besides which, it's usually dry. So it's guaranteed dry wood. You don't have to worry, especially when you come to it. And you've been canoeing all day. Well, and the stuff you saw like cut down, were they like live trees? They were live trees. Yeah, like those aren't going to burn anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, like if, if you're prepping firewood, let's say you've got a wood stove, mm-hmm. you let the, like when you cut trees down mm-hmm. um, to collect up for your firewood, like it, say you got a, you know, like your own wood lot, you age it for a year to dry them out. <laughs> right? So it's one of these things, like a tree you've just cut down. Is useless. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when you are looking for firewood, you're looking for standing dead wood mm-hmm. um, or something that's leaned over. You don't want it on the ground because it's going to, like dead wood on the ground, especially if it's rained. It's just going to soak up water and be soaked. But, um, you know, stuff that's been dead long enough that bark's coming off, that's going to generally be dry inside, right? So, you know, when you are in the backcountry, one of the most useful tools for you to have is a good folding saw. Right. And so we we buy a pruning saw. Yeah. Wait, what kind is that? Silky. Like Japanese pruning saws. Yeah. And you just pick that up at... Home Hardware, Home Depot, you know. Uh, I don't think you'll find those at either of those places. But No? No. Lowe's? No. Is that where we got it? I got it at one of those. You did? I did. Oh. Yeah. And I think it was, was it 30 bucks? Is it around that price point? I thought they were 50, but. Hmm. Anyway, great saw. So that will saw through what diameter? Um. Well, though, the ones we have like have eight inch blades. Uh-huh. Um, so I've. I've gone through like a 10 inch tree before. Yeah. Uh, but generally, you know, like a five inch, uh, uh-huh. you know, cause if you're doing something longer than the blade, then you got to work your way around it. Um, it takes forever. Yeah. Uh, so, but the silkies come in different lengths, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you can do an eight or a 14. They do up to like a 60 centimeter long blade. So what length do you recommend? Um, 16 for, inch? No, for the average, uh, uh, like backpacker, like mm-hmm. the ones like we have, like the Silky Excels mm-hmm. or the Gomboys, mm-hmm. um, you can get those up to a 10 inch blade. Yeah. Right. They're small enough when they're folded up, they'll just sit in the side of your pack. You don't even know you have it. Yeah. But so you we, can buck up a ton of firewood. So we have that. And then what's the knife that we have? The more, uh, more bushcraft, but any kind of like quality survival slash bushcraft knife, which you can use to split wood. Yeah. Which people are like, huh? Don't I need an ax? You don't need an ax. Um, basically cause, and as far as splitting stuff down, and this is the other trick that we run into when it comes to fires is we'll often do like Siberian log fires. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're only having to cut your wood into six foot lengths and mm-hmm. you don't have to split it. Um, you only need some stuff like smaller stuff, whether it's twigs or a few pieces that you've broken down into kindling to get the fire going. Cause once the fire's going, you're just burning the end of the logs. Um, and as they burn, you just slide them forward. Right. Um, Not always easy with the campsites, with the fire pits that are already there. I mean, you can move things around. Yeah, you know. But for the most part, it might just mean that you have to go for a bit of a hike. 
you know, because usually around your campsite, it's all been scavenged or uh, yeah if you're if you're in higher traffic campsites mm -hmm. expect to have to go further to scavenge wood yeah right and when you're going to do that make sure you take your headlamp with you and some sort of navigation device so after a whole bunch of meandering through the forest you can actually get back to your campsite mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially you know if you're out close to dark looking for wood uh you know make sure that you've obviously got lighting with you yeah um and uh, a way to navigate back to camp. So when we were uh, canoeing, some of the easiest way to get really super dry wood is just along the shoreline in your canoe. There's a lot of trees that are fallen over mm -hmm. that are just, you know, they're exposed so to the elements, but they're super dry. They're brittle. Yeah. And they're nice sizes. Mm -hmm. So you can just snap them off and put them in your canoe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't think of, a lot of people do that. No. Well, one of the things to think about too is sort of like a foraging mentality. Like, you're passing um, birch trees on the trail mm -hmm. um, and there's a bunch of like, uh, you know, peeled bark on them already. Mm -hmm. Collect a handful. There's your fire starter for the night. Absolutely. Um, as you get closer to your camp, right, when you know you're, you're almost there, yeah. start looking uh, for firewood. Because then it's one of those things where it's not like you get to camp, take your pack off or, you know, unload your canoe. And then have to start looking, mm -hmm. right? Because if you already have an idea, oh, well, there was that tree there and there was two trees that were falling over, but they were leaning against other trees. Mm -hmm. uh, so they had a bunch of branches that we could, you know, harvest off there. Um, you know, so it, it's that kind of thing of like keeping your eyes peeled so that then when you actually do get to camp, it's not like, oh, okay, now we're starting from scratch. Yeah. You know, you've already foraged and collected a bit of stuff along the way. And we have um, a blog on our website at livewildradio.com all about, what is it, the four ways of making fire? Like, well, the, the one article is like five ways of uh, starting fires without matches. Yeah. Birch bark is amazing. Mm -hmm. It will. It is a huge blessing and easy to get. Yeah. And, and, and for little stuff to get a fire going. Look for coniferous trees, which are evergreens. Um, they either have needles or needles. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, cedars are kind of like flat, but they're still not leaves. Um, and they hold their color year round, so they're easy to find in the wintertime because it's the only thing with any color. Mm -hmm. um, the low dead branches are protected from the weather and they're dead. And they, you know, on a, on a fairly mature tree have been dead for a while. So if the branch snaps cleanly off, it's dry inside. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can collect a ton of that. Um, I'll often, you know, make a little um, satchel at a cord. Right. So I'll put the cord down, like whether with paracord or a piece of rope. And then I can bundle a huge amount into it mm -hmm. and then cinch it up and it's easy to carry back to camp. Totally. More than you can fit in your hands. Yeah. Um, it's a great tip. We should do that as a track tip Tuesday. Yeah. Well, another, another thing too, uh, and I'd, I, I, might do this canoe camping. I wouldn't really do it backpacking. Um, is just a reusable shopping bag. Mm -hmm. Because you can collect a ton of wood, uh, you know, branches, any of that kind of stuff in there as well. Yeah. Right? And then when you get back to camp, um, then, you know, boom, you're ready to go to, to get your campfire going. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, like the whole thing of live trees like cutting down live trees, not only is it damaging 
you know, needlessly damage the environment because they don't burn. <laughs> you know, like if, if you if you get a, a good fire going, you can halfway burn anything, but it's going to smoke like crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Like it's going to be miserable. Nobody's going to be happy at their campsite or at the campfire. You're not going to be a rock star. No. Uh, whereas if you can find that dead wood, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it means looking a little further afield, like at popular campsites. But yeah, but once a- you once you walk into that area that nobody's walked, you'll find plenty of wood. Yeah, like we've never had a problem finding wood. Yeah, um, you know, so it, it's one of those things of just keeping your eyes open for it, mm-hmm. so that then when time comes, you're not like, oh, I have no idea, right? And and if there's multiple people in your group, um, you know, split off in pairs and go in different directions, right? That can make it a little easier for you to guys to find something. And if you do find like some good sources, mm-hmm. then it's like give a yell, you know, or a, or a blast of your whistle to get everybody, you know, whoever finds it first, then everybody else goes and gives a hand. Yeah. And it's fun. It yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, setting up camp in the back country is, you know. It's it's part of the adventure. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just sitting around. <laughs> well, and, and to me, one of like to end the day, the campfire is one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's fun to make them. It's fun to process wood. It's all in like a like, I find a relaxing process. Mm-hmm. So you know, just don't cut down live trees because they're not going to burn anyway. Yeah. Um, another thing that people, you know, you know that that's bad for the environment and just annoys everybody else's shitting in the woods. Yeah. So the way to do it properly in the back country are a couple ways, you know, digging a hole six to eight inches in the ground. If you're not, you know, near a thunder box or an outhouse or mm-hmm. whatever it could be back there. Uh, it's a proper way to do it. You need to be 150 feet away from the, wa- from any water source. Is yeah. That the distance? And we're a trail. Or a trail. And the reason for that is that otherwise, when rain comes, it just washes into the water system. Yeah. And that's how people get sick. Yeah. Right? It's just bad for you, which, by the way, and we'll talk about water filtration and purification. So that's one way. Another way could be, um, and I see this a lot in the U.S., and we take it, especially when we go rock climbing, are poop bags. Yeah. Wag bags. Yeah. So we, we when we were backcountry camping um, in the desert, we had to carry out our own shit. Um, and the big reason for it is when you don't have like soil that you can dig into to bury it, then you got to carry it out. Uh, and then, you know, with the trip we did in Coyote Gulch, mm-hmm. when you're in the bottom of a canyon, there's no point you're 150 feet away from water. Mm-hmm. Right. So you either cart it with you or it's going to contaminate the water source. Right. Especially, you know, um, when they get flash floods, which happen a number of times a year, if you've buried it, you know, eight inches deep in sand, that's not going to do much to stop all that water that, you know, comes rushing down in a flash flood to unbury it and just spew it all through the river. Yeah. Right. It's a thing you'll run into, uh, like with your toilet paper you know, bury that or cart it out with you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, and th- this is sort of the one, like if you see like toilet paper flowers all over the woods, <laughs> um, that's often uh, ladies. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
and or guys if they took a you know dump yeah but i mean but if that's all there is yes yes it's often women um and so with that it, again we come down to the same thing which is cart it out with you or bury it yeah um because you know if you're going pee people don't think to dig a hole yeah um but even just taking a stick you know and dig a hole yeah. and then bury it you're not uh basically you know littering all over the place because when it rains and that gets all torn up and yeah um, and then there's some areas like if it gets a lot of traffic uh like i uh, i'm thinking at the trail cutoff, like down in the Adirondacks, mm-hmm. between going up Wright's Peak and Algonquin, there's a thunderbox right there. God, it's disgusting. And I've seen people, I've seen human feces right outside that. Yeah, there's actually like a thunderbox that you can take a dump in. Yeah, and people just do it all around it. It's, yeah. It's so gross. And then there's like, like the little toilet paper tulips surrounding it. Yeah. Like everywhere in the, you know, that chunk of forest. Yeah. You know, like you have to watch where you step both to, you know, obviously be stepping in shit or poop or pee, sorry. Uh, yeah. You know, so it, it's that kind of thing where uh, certain areas that get a lot of traffic, if everybody does that, mm-hmm. right? And the problem is, is that one or two people do it and then people go, oh, well, then it must be okay. That's the problem. It sets that precedence and then yeah. everybody else does it. Yeah. And it's out of control. You know. Um. You know, what I do is when I go pee, I I just keep it. I have a little baggie. Yeah. You know, I have a baggie where I have my toilet paper. So I just put all that stuff in there. And then when we have a fire, I burn it. Yeah. You know, that's what that's how I manage it. Um, women also, there's such a thing as a shiwi. Yep. Basically, it's a funnel you can just put down there and you can stand and pee like other guys do. So that might help somewhat, you know, but I get it. You still want to wipe and that's fine. Um, just keep it or bury it. Now, if it's your wet wipes, what's your take on that? I wouldn't want to bury that. No, you got to cart them out. They're not biodegradable. Yeah, toilet paper is one thing. Yeah. But not not the wet wipes or the packaging, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm just packaging saying. Packaging is plastic. You know, just to recap, like, it, this is how you poop in the woods, you know? Obviously, if, if you're in an environmentally sensitive area where you need to carry it out, that's what wag bags are. Look them up. It is what it is. <laughs> like, yeah. It's one of those things. Don't be the person um, walking uh, behind the person with the wag bag uh, when it's full because in the hot desert sun, they do get a bit, <laughs> even even though they wrap up and they're in a Ziploc bag with disinfectant, it still smells a bit. It does. Um, yeah. But then, you know, when you get out, you ditch them and the world, like, you know. Moves on. Yeah. Carries on. Um but, oh, but the whole idea of distance away of where it's okay to poop applies to pee as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it's so bad for the water. And, and when you're back country, let's face it, you're not carting water with you. You're relying on that water source. And, yeah. and you know, if you get your purification or filtration wrong, you're going to be sick. Yeah. Um, so at least 150 feet away from a trail or water source, uh, you know, obviously if there's an outhouse or a thunderbox, um, make use of those and then dig a hole, uh, like eight inches deep. You can carry a little shovel for that, or you can use a stick. Um, you know, basically most of the time I'll just use a stick. It's easy enough. Uh, and then, you know, from a logistic standpoint of how to actually do it, I find if you can find like a perfect tree to grab a hold of, mm-hmm. <laughs> 
right? So you can lean back a bit. Because um, the thing to realize, you know, if it's the first time you've pooped in the woods, um, I would recommend take your pants and underwear off. Uh, because you, if you've never done it before, the amount of times I've heard of people who end up peeing all over their pants because keeping things like lined up and tucked so you're, you know, uh, and squatting down, uh, it can be awkward, right? And the last thing you want to do is be, you know, smelling like pee. Um, So, and then once you've done your business, you've wiped, goes in the hole, and then you rebury it. And then if somebody else came along and kicked leaves and everything over it, if somebody else came along, they would never know you were there. Yeah. Right? And then it has time, you know, in the soil to break down. So, uh, you know, it's safe for the water. Nobody's actually gonna, accidentally going to step in it. <laughs> and you're also running into the thing. Like, you're not attracting, you know, flies and uh, all that kind of thing as well. So, Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, because they always go on your food, and that's gross. You know. Um, let's talk about clothing. Just, you know, when you're backcountry and safety, number one thing is cotton kills. Don't wear that. Yeah. Um, you know, with the change in weather and, and not dressing appropriately, always wear synthetic. And besides which, if you pee on your pants, it'll dry quick. Yeah. I rely on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, and that, that's the thing too, where, where, uh, you know, if you're in the back country, um, you, you're never going to bring a change of clothes for every day. Right. So. Mm-hmm. You're going to smell, live with it. <laughs> yeah, I bring two pairs of everything. That way, if one thing's wet and it's like downpouring, I can change into something dry. Yeah, it's about... Uh, and that's for like five days. Yeah. The backcountry, I'll just bring two of everything. Um, maybe a bit more of underwear and, and socks. But socks, I just bring two as well. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, a key tip. Um, and by the way, like we have a whole series, as I mentioned, on Intro to Backcountry. Which, um, not I think we do one on clothing yeah. and footwear, um, backpacks, shelters, sleep systems, water, uh, uh, camp and co- camp cooking and water, um, navigation, safety, so a whole slew yeah. of information. And online on our website, we have that as well. But um, going back to clothes, you know, you don't need to carry too much, but you need to keep, you know, weather changes especially in today's day and age of climate change. <laughs> it's unpredictable. Yep. So, um, and in fact, the fall and the summer can be really dangerous because it can be, you know, shorts and t-shirt weather. And if you're climbing a mountain or all of a sudden the weather turns on a dime, um, it could be pretty wet and cold and you can get hypothermia. Yeah. Like the fall, I think, is the most dangerous time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, or the shoulder seasons like spring and fall. Yeah, um, when it's wet. You know, when the thing you run into is that fall can start off like beautiful weather during the day. It's bright and sunny. And then the sun goes behind the clouds, the wind picks up and it starts to rain and the temperature plummets. Uh, and you know, you're just running into that thing of like, Oh shit, where did this come from? <laughs> you know? Yeah. If um, you don't have rain gear, you don't yeah. have, um, pants and change of clothes. Yeah, and so the the big thing comes in as far as like dressing for it. Like if you had if you were out there in jeans and you know cotton sports socks, t-shirt, sweatshirt, that stuff when it gets wet will stay wet. 
right? And that's whether it's wet from sweat mm-hmm. um, or wet from rain. Think of your beach towel. Yeah. Your beach towel, you, you use it, it's wet. How many days does it take to dry? Yeah, if you were just hanging it up, you know. Right. Uh, and we have no dryers in the outdoors. So synthetic or wool clothing that Are dry. Amazing. Yeah. They don't absorb a lot of moisture, so they don't take a long time to dry. Yeah. Um, they'll still keep you warm when they're wet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, basically because they, they don't get like waterlogged, you're going to not get as much chafing and everything as well. Um, and you know, your skin staying wet for a long period of time softens it up. So it gets chafed, blistered, you know, damaged much easier. Mm -hmm. Right. So you want to try to stay dry when you can. Um, so, and basically any time of year having like a, uh, a little toque, like a beanie, um, and a light pair of gloves, you know, Mm -hmm. then you throw a raincoat on. That can be the difference between being hypothermic and being comfortable. Yeah, that and uh, I always like my down jacket. My I call it my puffy. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic for sleeping. It's got a hood. Yeah, you know, and even just well. taking a break. Taking a break right? just to you, warm up, especially when it's rainy. Yeah, you know, just or even like, it, it, because the thing you'll run into when you're moving, use it as a pillow. Yeah, because when you're moving, you're generating a lot of heat, right? And like I actually prefer it colder when I'm hiking mm-hmm. because I sweat so much. Right, so when it when it's cooler out, I actually don't sweat because you know I, I adjust my layers so that I'm just warm enough not to be cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that way, I'm not dripping with sweat like I usually do. And on that note, it's always good to start off cold mm-hmm. or cooler because if you're this is if you're going on your trek. So if you're going to be working hard, start off cool because once you're working hard, you'll be at a perfect temperature. Yeah, um, but that way, having a little puffy jacket when you stop for a break. Put your puffy jacket on mm-hmm. and that retain, you don't get cold during that break. Yeah. Um, so it's a super versatile piece. Um, I was pretty impressed this year. I was wearing my Royal Robins uh, shorts and it was kind of spraying out, misty. So it was wet, mm-hmm. right? You could see it, but it wasn't, you know, you couldn't feel a lot of it, but it was there. Mm-hmm. And um, I was impressed that despite that being pretty misty and spray, um, my my shorts weren't wet. I think for me moving around in them, yeah. the heat dry them off. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, that's the thing about good, you know, active use clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth the investment for sure. Yeah. And it dries quickly. Oh, yeah. And then if it is damp, um, like your sports bra or, you know, even your socks if you've been hiking all day, you put that in your sleeping bag at night, as long as it's not wet but damp, your body heat will, will dry, dry it out. off. Or even if you're at the campfire. Yeah. I often do this. If I've got dry clothes on, I'll stick my wet socks or whatever is wet in, under my down jacket against my, my body, like yeah. my skin. Have my other clothes on, my layers, and it dries it off. Yeah. Because you're putting off heat uh, and that evaporates the moisture out of the... That's how little moisture they hold. Yeah. Right. And even against the fire, too. I mean, if nobody wants to hold clothes against the fire. But if you have, like, your socks, sometimes I'll pull out my merino wool yeah. socks and it'll dry it off yeah. even more quickly. But it's not necessary. Yeah. I can just easily do that in my sleeping bag. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. As long as it's not wet. You know, if it's just damp when you put it in, mm-hmm. all your stuff will be bone dry come morning. Yeah. And then because maybe it's cool in the morning when you wake up, you can actually just get dressed in your sleeping bag while you're still warm. <laughs> uh 
and that that's a great way to uh, uh, you know sort of start your day yeah because you're not getting out and all chilly getting dressed yeah 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 I think that um, the other thing just along safety and keeping warm that was really interesting to me when I was learning backcountry camping was the need for insulation as far as your your sleep system mm-hmm. So a, a mat, a ground cover, you know, some kind of a mat that insulated you between the ground. Yeah. And I didn't realize, um, because in the past I slept right on the ground, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and as kids, maybe in the summer it didn't matter so much, but, um, it does and it makes a big difference. Um, so whether it's, um, neothermal rest and that's the air mattress, I believe. The neo, thermal rest, neo air. Thank you. Yeah. And then there's the accordion like foam pad. Yeah. Like the Z light. The Z light. That's a great one. I use that multi-purpose from, you know, a mat underneath my hammock. As I come out of my hammock, I don't have to put my foot right on the ground. (laughs) That's luxury. Um, To just line it on the ground or, you know, if it gets wet, I don't care. You know, there's many uses for it, but you can also sleep on it as well. But that's another key factor. Um, I really love my down sleeping bag. I find in comparison to a synthetic sleeping bag that you might get for like your kids, 30 bucks. I found, for example, my kids, um, with my son, you know, putting off more heat, my daughter less at the end of the day, one was sweating. And then today they were both cold. Yeah. They're just, it's just not right for them. I find for some reason, um, down sleeping bags are incredible for temperature regulation. And yeah. They keep you warm, but they breathe well. Yeah. Um, and they're super comfy yeah. and light and fluffy and, and they compact really well. Yeah. You know, it's it's a, it's one of those things. It's a little more money up front, but a really good long term investment. Oh, totally. Um, and and back to the sleeping pad thing. Like a lot of people use air mattresses, like mm. when they go car camping. Yes, talk about that. Um, the big issue first, you got to be lucky enough that it just holds air all night, because <laughs> everybody I ever talk to, they, you know, they always sort of like lose air pressure. Um, part of that's going to be the fact that when you pumped it up, it was warm out. Mm, and when it cools overnight, cooler air takes up less space, right? So the pressure drops, right? So even if it doesn't leak, it's going to get soft overnight. But more importantly, air mattresses don't have any insulation in them. Um, you know, your typical Coleman, you know, the kind of one you'd have to throw in the spare bedroom when the cousins come visiting. Yeah. Um, not a big deal in your house, right? Where it's room temperature. But outdoors, when the ground is colder than you, um, the air is colder than you, um, you, what happens is is that, you know, somewhere in the middle of the night, uh, the air in that air mattress is basically now ambient air temperature. Mm. But the insulation of your sleeping bag that you're lying on is compressed, right? So you've lost that insulation. So now you're effectively in contact with that colder air. Um, is there anything to do, even putting a ground sheet cover, ground sheet, a ground sheet between the, you know, the air mattress that's blown up and mm-hmm. the ground, will that make a difference? Um, or does it, it have to have some kind of a foam? It's got to have some sort of insulation. Okay. Right. So, so would it make a difference like that, you know, if you had a, a you know, a thermometer you could measure probably. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it doesn't make enough of a difference. And besides which they're very bulky and yeah. heavy. You know, yeah, but it, it's one of those things that... To take backcountry. Yeah, for backcountry, definitely. But you see a lot of people using them car camping, and then they complain they hate camping. 
they're yeah. always cold. Yeah, that's a really right? good tip. Yeah, like people cold and like if you if you're camping on a summer night and you're cold, um, and you're not up in the mountains or something like that, then there's there's a problem with the system somewhere. Like if you have a sleeping bag that's rated um, beyond the temperatures you're experiencing, and you're still excuse me, you're still cold, then the most likely culprit is your ground insulation. I would agree. Um, because even with a great sleeping bag and clothing, it's not going to be enough. Yeah. Well, because it's just, it's one of those things. You're warm on top and you're losing all your heat out of the bottom. Yeah. Right? So. Which doesn't take much to add insulation. Like we, we sleep in hammocks. And funny enough, like, and you can use one of those like air mattresses or, you know. Like a sleeping are, pad. Yeah, a sleeping pad. But I find that my body slips off of them because mm-hmm. they're narrow, right? And in the hammock, you can really move around. Um, so even that sliver of your body not um, protected by that, you will feel the cold, yeah. the draft, it sucks. Yeah. So we actually um, got a quilt from Costco, 30 bucks. It's probably a millimeter thick, like super thin. Yeah, no, it's got down Two in it. So it's, it's got down puffy. in it. Yeah, but that's how thin it is. Mm-hmm. It probably weighs like a couple ounces. No, they weighs about a pound actually. Really? Yeah. No. Yeah. No pound. It it's because you're so strong, you don't notice the pound. I want to. You want to have a bet? You're I've, wrong. I've, like it's not I've, a pound. I've weighed them. I'm really? a nerd about this stuff. Yes, I've weighed them. <laughs> you're. It's a nerd. pound before we stitched all this stuff on to put it up. It's actually really? slightly over a pound. Oh wow. Doesn't yeah. feel, you know why? It's because it's so big. It doesn't feel like it. When you yeah. grab it, you grab an end of it. Okay, it's a pound, whatever. Yeah. All right. But it's thin. Yes. But it keeps you warm. It keeps you warm. Like you know. when you have this thing spread out like a cocoon and you're yeah, cocooned because in you, it. We, we wrap the underside on the outside of our hammock. Mm-hmm. So it creates a thermal barrier between the cold air under your ass and it's our amazing. body. It's amazing. Right. And, and uh, basically uh, a little tip for anybody that is a hammock camper um or wants to try it it's like you can actually get uh like specially made under quilts for hammocks right hammockgear.com down in ohio yeah um uh eagle nest outfitters is kind of a mainstream one just make sure you get something that completely cocoons you not just the bottom of your body because you may shift and as i mentioned earlier you if that slightly slips off of where you are and even a sliver is exposed, you will feel the draft. Yeah. Well, but and that's where, like, any of the ones that are made for it, mm-hmm. like, wrap right up the sides of your... Right yeah. So even when hammock. you're looking out through the net, you usually can't see out. It's yeah. dark. Which is good. It's just, for me, extra extra protection in my bu- of my bubble between yeah. me and animals. <laughs> if I can't see them, I'm like, I'm like that little kid. If I can't see you, you can't see me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. But that 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 really does make a big difference, yeah. Um, and you know, an, another thing you'll run into, and th- this applies whether it's you know mountain biking, rock climbing, um, you know, backpacking, hiking, any of these things, um, is there's a lot of experienced people out there doing it, and we're all into it, right? So. Uh, if you dig around, right, whether it's on Facebook groups or what have you, you can probably find more experienced people in your area um, who are, you know, like there's different kind of meetup groups that you can go and learn from, right? You can go on trips with people. 
Um, and you know, obviously with climbing, you can obviously book stuff with guides and actually have actual courses as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you're new to these things, um, think of it. If you're going to go from like zero to 60, uh, in, you know, your first trip, you dramatically increase the risk, right? Because you don't have all your systems dialed in, right? Um, you wouldn't, or you shouldn't, um, walk into a, an outdoor store and buy like a whole pile of rock climbing equipment and then head out to the cliff if you've never climbed before, mm-hmm. right? Most people would never think of doing that, right? Like there's almost like a, a little pathway. You start at the climbing gym, work your way up. Yeah. Um, with something like backpacking, people don't give it the same, uh, we'll say respect, you know, whether it's backpacking or canoe tripping, because that's really popular here in Ontario, um, give it the respect to sort of work your way into it, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, like I, one of the things I would always recommend people do is do a couple of car camping trips mm-hmm. with Absolutely. all, but um, everything you do and use is your backcountry gear, Right. You only have your backpack, right? Like you went on a backpacking trip. Um, And you you go through all of the processes exactly the same way you would, um, you know, if you were going into the backcountry as far as setting up your camp, working out your systems, right? Because if something doesn't work, well, you get your car there. Have some spare blankets, you know, (laughs) whatever. Yeah. Um, You'll get through it. Absolutely. Right. You don't want to discover that what you picked doesn't work. When you're in the middle of the backcountry and you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. It's, it can be really quite risky. And, um, I mean, you'll always have something to tweak and improve Mm -hmm. whether, you know, think of it like, you know, if you're backpacking, you could be taking too much stuff, you know? And I think for us, we average between 28 and 35 pounds of weight on us. Um, usually around 30 pounds is the sweet spot, I think. And, um, but that that includes food, fuel, and a couple liters of water. Yeah. So, and that's pretty critical because obviously the more weight you carry, the slower you're going to go. You could tire out. Um, you could be delayed in your trekking. You could underestimate what you need to be doing. And, you know, it, it can just lead to exhaustion. It could lead to accidents. Um, a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Navigation, let's talk about that for a second. Um, some real quick tips for outdoors, for newbies that are going into the backcountry in particular, or even hiking. Because yeah. actually actually hiking, um, we experienced or heard about this, and sometimes we're even late coming back and taking longer on our hiking trips because of the unexpected. Yeah. Um, there's a, a blog we wrote called The Essentials, The Hiking the Essentials. 10 essentials yeah. The 10 Essentials for Hiking. Which honestly um, is pretty critical when you go backcountry as well. Yeah. Right. It's just naturally, if you're going into the backcountry, because um, if we quickly go through the 10 essentials, and this is in no particular order, lighting, well, you better have a fucking headlamp if you're in the backcountry. Huge. Um, but you should also, every day hike you go on, you should have one. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, food. And high, that, high density caloric food. Yeah. Peanut butter is great. Nuts, sugar. Um, as in candy, yeah. that'll um, get you through. Uh, then water, 
right? And and obviously there's whatever water you're carrying and a way to disinfect water. Um, then uh, tools and repair. So having a Swiss Army knife and some duct tape, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then first aid kit, mm-hmm. right? If you're backpacking, you should have one of those with you. <laughs> um, shelter. Now, obviously when you're backpacking, we would have like a hammock or a tent. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're on a day hike, I just take a small tarp with me. Yeah, a tarp. Um, the other piece of advice you had given were gar- garbage bags. Yep. Say you get stuck. So you take about two or three garbage bags. Um, you're out in the back country. You're going to use that to make your ground insulation. Yeah, because if, if you take a garbage bag and stuff it full of leaves. Leaves or even branches like from uh, fir trees. Yeah, that'll insulate you from the cold of the ground. And then you use another, whether a small tarp or garbage bag, to make kind of like a bit of a rain shelter over top of you mm-hmm. with some cord. Could even be like rain gear. You know, and that you're, you're going to be miserable. But if for some reason you're stuck out for the night, um, you're not going to die. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially when we add in the next item, which is fire making ability. Huge. Right. A fire making kit. Um, and then uh, insulation. Right. So that means having some warm clothes with you and some rain gear. Uh, for me, those things are like your puffy, your jacket. Yeah. Um, the maybe a long gloves. sleeve and, and low gloves, beanie. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe some pants if it's cooler or it could be. You know, yeah. like some. And for me, that could be. You know, what's really great or my, is my thermal underwear, mm-hmm. the one that has that um, the waffle, waffle pattern. pattern. Yeah. It is amazing. That that is so light. I remember when I got that. I'm like, I paid 150 bucks for this, and this is going to keep me warm. My God, it keeps me warm. <laughs> Great technology. Yeah. Um, then finally, navigation. Right? Like how I full circled it back to your um, thing about navigation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a couple points to that. I mean, um, you know, number one, map. You know, if your cell phone dies or your battery, you know, dies on your on your GPS, your navigation tool item, um, you always want to have a map. You want to be paying attention to landmarks, both going uh, on your route and looking back. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you're following the um, trail markers. If you can't find your next trail marker, go back to the last one. That's always a good tip. Don't just keep walking. Um, you want to, uh, cell phones are helpful. You're finding that more and more these days are cell phone towers. I always like to take a spare, I always take batteries with me, right? Um, make sure my phone cell service is turned off, um, download all my maps onto my phone in advance, but you know, put your battery saver on, turn off, you know, just limit the use of the battery. Yeah, turn Wi-Fi your, off. Yeah. Turn it all off. And except I, for location. I, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, I actually have a Garmin in reach Explorer. These are the satellite GPS units. Um, and then there's also the spot, um, that's also very helpful that gives you, you know, um, the Garmin inReach Explorer plus in particular allows you not only to, uh, track your location, but it allows you to email text people yeah. essentially. And it has two way communication, whereas the spot has one way. Well, the spot has two different devices. So, um, yeah, so basically electronic navigation is perfectly viable. Just make sure you have lots of spare battery charge. Mm-hmm. Um, so bring like if you, with your phone, bring a brick battery. Um, mm-hmm. and if there's multiple people in your group, make sure everybody has like trail forks or, um, all trails with the downloaded maps on it. Mm-hmm. So if one phone dies, 
like not just runs out of battery but dies, mm-hmm. then you have backups right. in your group. Yeah. Um, and so when Catherine's talking about the inReach, uh, what that is is like a GPS unit with maps but that also allows you to send and receive text messages Mm -hmm. um, via satellites. So it doesn't require cell service and it's an emergency locator beacon. So you get hurt, you hit the SOS button Mm -hmm. and then it's like calling 911. Um, Only first responders for whatever wilderness area you're in will get dispatched. Right. Um, so that's from Garmin. They have a bunch of different models with it in it. Yeah. Um, and it, it's really cool because with the Garmin Image Explorer and the Spot as well, you can send that via social media. Yeah. And they can see where you are live. Yeah. If you want to like, yeah. be like a famous outdoor person. But one of the key things to do when you go into the back, go on hikes, hikes or even backcountry is to let somebody know you're going. Yeah. Let somebody know you're going. Your safety plan. Your safety plan. What's your plan? Where are you starting? When are you expected back? What is your route? Those are the very bare minimum. And then who they should call in the event that something goes wrong. Yeah, because basically you set a time that you're going to get in touch with them to say, hey, I'm good. I'm back out. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if you have like a communicator, like a spot or a, an inReach, then every day you can send an okay message. Right. Um, uh, but if you don't have one of those, um, and the the... Spot Gen 4, like their their little unit, mm-hmm. it's like 189 bucks. Is it really? Yeah, uh, my Garmin inReach was pretty pricey. It was 700 uh, Yeah. But the thing is with the Spot is the Spot Gen 4 uh, that just came out um, is only one way. So mm-hmm. you can send messages like an OK or an SOS, but you can't receive them. Right. Then there's a device called the um, Spot X which allows you to send and receive. No, both of the spots are cheaper than Garmin's, but they don't have the mapping GPS built into them. Mm. Um, it has a GPS chip in it to send your location. Okay. But you can't navigate with them. Okay, which I quite like. Yeah, because it's just all in one unit. Well, it's really handy. It has it, it shows you all the trails, right? Mm-hmm. You can download the maps for anywhere you go. And uh, it'll even show you campsites, like, or if it's marked on the yeah. trail. So obviously it shows you elevation. You can, we use it all the time. Yeah. It tells you how far you've gone, what mm-hmm. speed you're going. Uh, yeah. You Which know. is great if you want to know on that terrain how quickly you can actually hike. Because yeah. you never know how technical it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that, that, that kind of leads into another point is that when you do plan a trip, it's, it's always good to... Uh, underestimate your ability right yeah so don't get aggressive um especially on your first trip yeah yeah and you know even on new terrain um let's face it i mean there's different obstacles i mean when we were in the desert the issue there was uh access to water Mm -hmm. right and you know if this is uh, an adventure and we're going to form our own trip access to water is a big deal and we quickly discovered, uh, what was the name of that canyon? That Fool's Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> we should have had some kind of inkling that nobody goes there. But we were um, making our own adventure. And we had to backtrack in the end. But um, yeah, there's different things that you should always re- do your research, where you're going, um, what are the potential hazards, whether it's uh, monsoons, flash floods, um, animals could be, you know, uh, snakes 
could be a bunch of things. So just keep that in mind, ticks. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and one little thing too, when you're planning your trips, um, when you're trying to figure out the right amount of insulation, clothes, sleeping bag, any of that thing, um, is just look up what the historic low, the record low was for that area. Um, because if you have gear that will handle the record low, the odds of it being a new record yeah. are pretty low. So <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm gonna say um, this year I should ch- I should take a look at what this year's weather patterns were in comparison to past historical records, but it was all over the map. Mm-hmm. The weather changed daily, and that's not the norm for Ontario. Um, we went through lightning and thunderstorms. I've never done that really on a backcountry trip. It was kind of scary because I could hear the water, the rain coming in like a train. Yeah. So uh, just me and my kids. <laughs> that was fun. Um, but, um, you know, it came and went and that was good. But I was sure glad that I thought, you know what, I'm going to take advantage. I have a canoe here. And if I have, to, which it wasn't a lot of clothing. I just said two of everything. Yeah. But we brought everything. I even brought rain gear and and um, brought some extra tarps. So, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully you guys found... You know, whether whether you are new um, or a little more experienced, hopefully you found some tips you can make use of. You know, our aim is to try to, obviously, uh, we're all the stewards of, uh, you know, these outdoor places we enjoy, right? So, um, you know, a lot of times I think people don't know what the good etiquette is. I think it's just that. I've been guilty of doing some of the things that we've talked about. And just call it, it's ignorance is what it is. Yeah, just, you just don't know. Yeah. And in some cases, I really do think the 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 parks could do a better job. Of educating. I do. Yeah. You know, I remember as a kid, not to be a litter bug, right? That was a big campaign. And I think, I really do think that's obvious. But I think in some cases, as you said, people just don't know what else, to, what to do. And so these are some solutions of what to do mm-hmm. for whether it be shitting in the woods or peeing and there are options. It's yeah. just an extra step. And you know what? At the end of the day, it just makes it more enjoyable for everybody. But it also keeps our environment, our animals safe. Yeah. And and the thing comes in too is like uh, if we want access to these resources, right? Like these outdoor places. If you had guests that came over regularly and trashed your place, you wouldn't invite them back. Right? Now, the thing is, they don't tend to know, like especially in the backcountry, who specifically is doing it. Mm-hmm. So then what happens is with areas, they just close them. They do. You know. They just can't keep track because, um, you know, yeah, they just, it's exactly that. And that's what's happened in, um, I was reading about it in the, was it Adirond? No, in Arizona, uh, Prescott National Forest, they just closed it down. Can't keep, the, the rangers can't keep up with cleaning that area. It's too much litter and people shit in all over the place. Yeah. We were there last a couple of years ago, weren't we? Yeah. yeah. Through Prescott. Yeah. And so this is just free. Uh, basically, it's crown land. Yeah. Well, not yeah, crown BLM, land. What they call BLM Bureau. land. Yeah. That normally you can camp for free. So this is clearly, that's exactly what's happening. People are closing governments and state part, state conservation areas are closing it down. Yeah. Because it, especially with obviously like something like Algonquin, that's a paid park. Mm-hmm. Right. Um it's one of those, what you'll see is just more and more restrictions. Yeah. Um, whereas a place like, you know, 
Prescott, you know, forest or, or, um, Allegheny national forest or any of these places that we go in the States that are just open public land. Mm-hmm. Well, then they just go, no, because they're not making any money off of it. That's right. right. It's free. Yeah. And so if you're trashing it, they're not going to have it. It's just like it's banned. Yeah. And they'll make money off the, you know, $500 fines they give you for going there when you're not supposed to. So here's the thing. If you see stuff like that in the back country, you know, when you go on these trips, pack some extra garbage bags, pick it up. Because like we said, they can't point a finger or to, you know, go after the person that did it or the group of people that did it. We're all going to pay for it. Yeah. So let's just do our part. Let's be great stewards and do that. People will see that and people will be inspired by that. I don't know how many times I kept forgetting to bring garbage bags with me when I went hiking. And then now I just, it's just a habit. I have extra garbage bags in my bag, my car, so that when I go on a hike, I can take it. And then I think you really do inspire other people and just many hands make lighter work, so. Yeah, and it's a thing because other people have seen you going around like our local trails and cleaning them up. Yeah. And. I think they think twice. Yeah, well, it might keep somebody from littering. It might they might think a little twice, a little bit more. But yeah. then it also might, you know, inspire somebody to pick up a garbage bag themselves. Yeah. Right. And at least let them show that they can do something as well. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so uh, I think it's that that thing where we all want that experience of whether it's a trail, a campsite, any of these things, and obviously. It's it's illusion, you know, the idea that, hey, we're the first person here because there's actually a campsite there or somebody made the trail. Yeah. Um, shout out to all the trail volunteers who do all the maintenance and, you know, put the trails in mm-hmm. because that's a lot of work that nobody even gives any credit for. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's one thing to uh, be on a trail that somebody obviously made, but you feel like you're in nature. But then if you're going along that same trail and like there's garbage everywhere, you're not having the same experience, right? And so if we, if we kind of have that empathy and extend that to everybody, right? I'm not going to litter because I don't want to deal, like I don't want to see somebody else's litter. Yeah. Right? So if I don't do it and then somebody else doesn't do it and da, 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 down the line, eventually you go through areas and there's no litter. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, you know, especially now as more and more people are wanting to get out, you just want to have a nice place to go. Yeah. Good. If I, if I wanted to go to a garbage dump, I would go ride stinky girl at the hydro cat and Kitchener. <laughs> because it, if the wind's blowing the wrong way, cause it runs along the fence line of the um, landfill site. Uh, He's they talking call it, about mountain biking, yeah, by the way. They call it stinky girl for a reason. Yeah. My girl. I don't know. I'm offended. Well, be offended. Whatever. <laughs> you know. Another thing to think about just to end us off is, uh, you know, some of these parks have volunteers groups, you know, that they're looking for volunteers to do things to help mm-hmm. maintain and clean up, um, you know, talk to them, see if you can find out where there's some problem areas. If you're not aware of them and you can lend a hand when you're out there, I think they'd really appreciate it. And you know what? It's just getting connected to the community. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because... Generally, uh, I found that most outdoor people um, are pretty cool. You know, like the bell curve definitely tilts more towards the cool side than the shitheads. Yeah. There's probably a few shitheads. They're every group there is. But mm-hmm. 
Um, there's definitely more sort of uh, with it cool people, uh, and we want to grow that. So, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, I should never know that you shit there. That's really <laughs> what this comes down to. Yes, yeah, so we don't want to be calling it stinky whoever. Yeah. <laughs> you know. All right. So. Until next time, thank you guys for listening. Uh, go to iTunes if you'd be so kind and give us a five-star review. And a or comment. Spotify. Um, yep, Spotify. And, you know, any of the places you can rate a yeah. podcast because the ratings then bump us up in the algorithm so then yeah. more people see our podcast and listen. Um, you Check know. out our other podcasts, um, All About Backcountry. And, uh, all the Backpacking Series. Yeah, they're really great. Um, if Catherine does toot her own horn. What? If you do toot your own horn, saying they're great. They are great. Yeah, that's tooting your own horn. Oh, well. I'm not faulting you for it. I'm just, know, I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not shy. Yeah, she's not. I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah, yeah. it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Until next time. I'm Catherine. I'm Winston. Live wild. Work hard. Play dirty. <laughs> I screwed that up. You did. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>